Earlier this year, I went to a conference in person. It was the Podcast Movement Evolutions Conference down in Los Angeles, and I had a great time. I went, of course, because I'm a podcaster and I wanted to meet other podcasters, and I did lots of that. But what I was really not expecting was to meet others who worked in the areas of death and grief and other similar topics and making some amazing connections. The first was with Gianna from the podcast, So Sorry for Your Loss, and I will for sure be doing an interview with her and doing some other collaborations in the future. You'll hear more about that as we go along. And I mention her because she's referenced in this interview that I'm going to be sharing with you today. When Gianna and I were in the elevator going up to a social party for the conference, I looked over and I saw that this guy had a badge that said that he was part of the Famous and Gravy podcast. I was, of course, intrigued. What's Famous and Gravy, I asked him. Oh, it's a podcast about what really matters in life through the lens of looking at the lives of dead celebrities. Gianna and I just, of course, shot each other a look and blurted out that our podcasts were about death and grief. And we all then just got into a great conversation. And that guy in the elevator was named Amit Kapoor. And he, together with Michael Osborne, are the power duo behind the show Famous and Gravy. I asked Michael to come onto the show today to talk with us about obituaries because I love how they treat them in Famous and Gravy. And there's a lot that we can learn from reading other people's obituaries and then thinking about it a little bit. And I really just love how they do it on Famous and Gravy. I have now become a fan of their show, if you can't tell, and you'll pick that up as we go along. So I'm excited today to share with you my interview with Michael Osborne, where we talk about obituaries, what they mean, what we can learn from them, what we want included in ours, and just a little bit about what we can learn about how to live a good life by thinking about how we want to be talked about after we're gone. We also got into a conversation about grief and some other things that are not related to obituaries. The conversation was fantastic, but it's not related. And so I'm going to keep this one focused to try to trim it down time-wise a little bit. And I'm going to share that other stuff later in a separate episode. So today's episode is a little different from the usual practical stuff that I include here on Dying Kindness but I think you'll still find it really interesting and helpful. And hopefully it'll inspire you to do one of the things that I encourage everybody to do, which is write down some highlights for your obituary, just to give people a hand so that they can better represent you after you're gone. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hello and welcome to Dying Kindness the podcast for people who are going to die someday. I'm Sienna Stewart, and I'm going to die someday. I've cared for people as they've died and have supported grieving friends, both emotionally and practically. I've seen the impact that death has on the people left behind and how much worse that experience is when the grief is complicated by having to deal with a messy legal, financial, or physical aftermath. 
I don't want to do that to the people I love when I eventually die. And I don't want you to either, because, spoiler alert, you are going to die someday too. So let's all do what we can to make key decisions now in order to be kinder to the people we'll leave behind. That's a dying kindness. Hi, Sienna. How are you? I am well. I'm very, very glad to have you here. It's How really you good doing? to see you again, I gotta say. It's nice to see you on the other side, even if we are several time zones apart. It is really nice to see you too. Yeah. 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 It was super fun to meet you and to connect with you and Amit at the Podcast Movement Evolutions. Yeah. I had no idea what kind of connections I would have and that I would randomly find other people who were thinking about death and obituaries and things. That was yeah. a big, big surprise. So but I just wanted to first ask, how are you doing today? Today I'm good. It is, let me let me give you the honest answer. How am I really doing today? I'm doing actually really good. There's a lot of fun projects that have been bubbling up. We released an episode today and release day is always, you know, kind of a dopamine hit. There's a, there's a handful of things that I'm looking at over this summer that I'm excited about. Like finding creative projects is kind of what keeps me going all the time. So like the question of how are you doing is almost a question of where's your creative barometer today, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, if that is the question, then my creative barometer is, is, is above average, which is, I think, as good as anybody can hope for. Release day. Release day for Famous and Gravy, I'm, I'm guessing. Correct. Yeah. The, the latest podcast about the, what matters most in life, one dead celebrity at a time. How did you even get this idea to start Famous and Gravy? Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, so Amit is my co-host and Amit and I became friends, oh, 12-ish years ago, maybe maybe a little bit more than that. Uh, at the time, I was living in California in the Bay Area, uh, going to grad school, and Amit was at Wikipedia. And he he's just a funny dude. And one I, I don't know how this conversation got started. But uh, while he was working at Wikipedia, he had this idea for an app because apps are so popular and cool. And his app was Dead or Alive. And I said, what is Dead or Alive? And, uh, and he started throwing out names. And the first name I remember him saying was Shirley Temple. Is mm. she dead or alive? And this was 2010-ish. And I said, she's got to be dead. And he's, he looked at me like with bright eyes, alive. And uh, <laughs> and then like that kind of, you know, kind of got the wheels turning. So we started like playing that game with each other a lot and starting texts. Uh, like if you look at our text chain between 2013 and 2019, um, it's almost all random celebrities who may be dead or alive. Um, it was just a fun game we played with each other. And obviously there's sort of an unspoken rule. You're not going to go to Google. Like this is knowable information, whether or not right. these people are dead or alive. But you get reminded of people that you totally forgotten about, right? That was sort of the cleverness of, of this idea. And so somewhere in 2020, we reconnected. And it, you know, of course, at this point, COVID was in full swing, right? So I, this was kind of a COVID project in a way. I wrote to him. 2020, 2021, something like that, and said, I think we ought to develop a podcast around dead or alive. And he said, sounds great. But obviously, that's not a whole podcast. Like, is somebody <laughs> dead or, or not? It's like a one minute or less. Yeah, it's a boring yeah. podcast, right? <laughs> and they're dead. That's the end of our show. Let's go to the credits. Thank the producer. <laughs> so I, I happened to catch him at a good time. He was interested in doing something different. 
And so, and he was the one who really got us organized on this. He said, let's just meet every Wednesday night from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. And we'll record our conversations and we'll just keep, let's just keep meeting. Let's just keep working on it. And so somewhere in there, we we're like, okay, let's not talk about alive people. Let's only talk about dead people. That decision was made. But then I had another friend say, I think if you guys really want to develop a show around this, you need some sort of structure, some sort of organization. You really need categories. And so I told that to Amit. I said, I think we need categories for our show. And Amit, something went off in his mind. He had a real light bulb moment where he's like, he came back the next week and he's got, he's like, I've got 15 of these. I'm like, no, wow. <laughs> no shit. He's like, okay, first one, man in the mirror. And it was like a question of, do you like your reflection? I'm like, oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, uh, another one, net worth. I'm like, oh, yeah. And this is knowable, right? And so, so then we started putting them together and we started saying, okay, we're going to structure the whole show around categories. We developed it over the course of a year. And then I guess the last sort of piece of it is we found that the format for the show kind of, we felt like it really worked regardless of who we were talking about. Like Mm -hmm. it worked if we were talking about people who were famous because they were actors or actresses, or if they were politicians or athletes or musicians or professors or authors or whatever kind of categories of fame you could come up with, you know, we'd, we'd apply this you know, these categories, this structure, this formula, and the conversation would always be kind of fun. And then when it land in some place that we felt was like meaningful, you know, cause it all, the show culminates in what we call the Vanderbeek, either I want your life or I don't want your life. And that was like a nice way to end it. Do you want this life or not? You know? So it, it's sort of a, it's sort of a meaning of life conversation with a whole lot of trivia peppered along the way and pop culture kind of work. I have to say, I love it. I love the categories. I love the structure of it. I love that it feels like it's going to be a trivia contest, but by the end, it's like, whoa, that was deep. Yeah. This is a a hard question. This is. Does it actually feel that way? Because you never know when you're on this side of it. Like it does. It does. It feels that way. It does. It you know, it's not like a trivia contest, but like, oh, you know, it's a trivia show. It's a celebrity show. There's so many celebrity shows. It's like, you know, but oh wait, they're dead celebrities. Oh wait, we're gonna go through things and we're gonna you know we're gonna talk about love and money and you know whether or not they've got like self-pride or you know all these different things so of course the reason i wanted you to be on dying kindness is because you open with reading the obituary from the new york times for each of these people correct and and i'm curious about you know just First, how did the obituaries get looped into it? It seems fairly obvious, but your approach to it is a little bit not so obvious. And, you know, and um, so how did that evolve? And then we'll talk about, you know, what have you learned by reading these obituaries and analyzing them the way that you do or bantering? I don't know if analyzing is the right word, but bantering it back and forth between thinking about at least uh, hopefully yeah, contemplating Um, it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the way the show works is the, the opening segment is always I call up a few friends torture them to see if they can guess who the, the dead celebrity is going to be. And then there's kind of a reveal. And that that was inspired from a few different podcasts that I like. The one I was thinking of is there used to be a show. I think it's still around called Doug Loves Movies, where it's Doug Benson, who's the stoner comic. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I, I listened recently and it sounds like he might have mixed up the format, but he plays a similar kind of game with people where 
he'll select uh, movie re- reviews from Leonard Malton, give a few clues, and people try and guess what the movie is, basically. So this was that, except let me pull some clues from the obituary and see if people can put together who the guest is going to be. And so after, you know, two minutes of torturing people, we reveal who it's going to be. And then the very first category of Famous and Gravy of every episode is grading the first line of the obituary. That was sort of a late add-on in terms of the structure of the podcast, which is funny because I think it's so fundamental in a way. I, I, I think I was listening to another show where I heard somebody say, kind of in an offhanded remark, they were, I think they were talking about Jared Kushner, of all people, and said, <laughs> well, it's not going to be in the first line of his obituary. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a thing, the first line of their obituary. And so I went back to Ahmet and I was like, I think we should make this a category. Category one, grade the first line of their obituary. We've had to develop what are we grading exactly? What are we grading for? Uh, I think that there's an element of comprehensiveness, right? Is the first line really capturing who this person is? You know, it's the lead of a news story. So is it is it capturing our attention and telling us why we should read on? Then there's like the verbiage that gets used, the word choice. Is it appropriate to what we think the kind of vibe of that person was uh, and our memory of them? And then, you know, there's a kind of like, is it is it succinct? Does it, you know, does it does it capture it all? Does it miss things? Are there major omissions? And it's a nice way for us to kind of launch into a conversation by looking at the and stealing the New York Times first line of the obituary. You know, we've got the lead of the podcast and they've done the work for us. But then, you know, it's kind of fun to like dissect it a little bit. And is this, you know, does it do this person justice? Does it feel accurate? What's it missing? Let's talk about it. And in a way, it, it feels like the remainder of the conversation Ahmed and I have on the show, you know, stems from whatever we have to say about that first line. Like it gets us started. Yeah. And I think for those who are not as familiar with the New York Times obituary structure, the first line, it's like they're trying to actually sum up somebody's life and whatever is the the one thing, if you only read the first line, you kind of get a, this is what you should remember this person for kind of feeling. Is that is that an accurate portrayal, you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, what I've learned, yes. I think that there is a cast a wide net at the sum total of this person's life and see if you can do it in a sentence, which is a real exercise in language. You know, that is a writing throw down the gauntlet challenge to try and to try and do it. You can think of anybody who you're a fan of and go back and read their the first line of their obituary and you're going to have a reaction to to the New York Times' best attempt at it. There's so much more that goes into an obituary than I appreciated before I started this show though. So, and and you're right in that I am now looking at it through a new lens as a result of this podcast. You know, I just I didn't I thought about it, but I didn't really think kind of how hard it is to do. That's actually another consideration that I'm trying to bring to the podcast is not only is it accurate and is it comprehensive and are there good word choices, but how hard was it to do? You know, how how hard was it to represent somebody? Were they were they a pretty straightforward public figure or you know, are are were they divisive? You know, how do you, and how do you capture that in a in a uh with integrity? Right, right. And if they led more than one 
life, essentially, within their lives. Yeah, because now, spoiler alert, Shirley Temple is dead. Yes. And uh, <laughs> she's she's one that you did do a show on. I had and very strong opinions so, about it, the first line of her You <laughs> certainly did. You certainly did. Uh, and, and she's one who led two distinctly, distinctly different lives in different phases of her world. And so, you know, the how is that summed up? Which one do you put more weight on, et cetera? I could see that being like a throwdown knockout fight in the editor's room at the, you know, the obit section, which they generally have to write it all in a day as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're on deadline. It's a, I, and, true, so, I know they pre-write ones that for folks who are older, but. Yeah. yeah I, I uh, learned recently that they have, they, I think they said something like 1700 advances. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot of, I mean, obviously we're all going to die, so you can never have too many advances, but like they're teed up for, for 1700 different people, which is sort of incredible. I, I think the mission for the obit section of the New York times, which is going to feature a lot of public figures is obviously different for us, regular folk. So when it comes to the first line of Shirley Temple's obituary, for example, they absolutely got all the child star uh, sort of next level fame stuff. What they left out was that she had this whole second life as a diplomat and as an ambassador and as somebody who was very involved in, you know, the foreign service and public service, which I had no idea about. But we none of us know that about her. So was it the right decision for them to leave that out? I felt pissed off about it because I felt like it did the lady a disservice. At the same time, I can understand why the editors would make that decision and say, you know what? Everybody knows this gal knows her for her child stardom and that's it. So let's cut it off there. This is the reason that people are going to read this obituary is because this is the person that they remember from when they were children and they watched, what did they say? Something like her dimpled something or other. Yeah. Um, yeah. All about, all about the dimples and dancing. So, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> One thing I, I wanted to ask you this. Can I ask you questions in this? For sure. Yeah. Okay. I'd I love conversation more than, you know, me just grilling you. You're not totally. on the hot seat. Well, yeah. so one thing I didn't know is that there is almost like an obituary subculture. I've met a lot of people who are like, I am way into obituaries. and I love reading them or I love having them read to me, which I didn't know beforehand. I get it. Were you in that category? Are you like somebody who is interested in you know, how they're put together or what they're all about, the construct, the structure, all that? I was not. Um, I am not, actually. It's it's funny. I am not somebody who even reads obituaries very much now, but I do find them, you know, of course, important in, in many, many ways. But yes, there's an entire obituary subculture, people who love it, love it, love it, and people who have already pre-written their obituaries. I mean, the, it is something that I recommend to the folks in the dying kindness community, not you know, even if you don't write out the whole thing, mm -hmm. do some of the the work for the people who will be writing it out and like write out your highlights and the things that you're proud of. And this maybe, especially if there's something that is not as obvious, you know, maybe you are not so excited about when and where you graduated from, from college, but you are excited about the fact that you were the yearbook photographer or that you have the best chocolate chip cookie recipe mm. or that, you know, you one time met and helped this person. And, you know, those things, if those are the highlights of your life, you know, go ahead and throw them into a little kit. And I think that that's 
the, the kind of thing when people say, I love reading the obituaries, they read them and the best obituaries give you a little insight into a person, but especially if you don't know the person, they kind of make you go, ah, I wish I'd known them. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I, that's why I was, my next question is like, what is that all about? What I get out of reading obituaries and thinking about death, because I, you know, regardless of whether or not I read them, I do think about death every day. And I am, um, you know, even before I started this podcast, this podcast is more of an outcropping of my lifelong thinking about this as opposed to the other way around. Yeah. I think that the process of thinking about death and keeping it really present is a, has a focusing effect on how do you want to live your life? And if I have a short amount of time here, which you do, however you know, long you have in the scope of human history, it's going to be short. Yeah. So what do you want to do with that time? And I personally thought that I wasn't, for whatever reason, when I was young, I had this thing that I wasn't going to be living past the age of 30. Yeah. And that was just like I had in that my too. head as I a number. Oh, you did? Yeah, totally. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew it was, I mean, it was, that was a very alive idea in my adolescence too. So I, and I was a reckless kid. So anyway, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know how it played out for you, but for me, it kind of helped to explain why I was just like, I have to do everything now. And yeah. I have to do all of the things all at the same time, because it's not like, oh, I can save this for later, you know, and this whole idea of, well, when I retire, I'll travel. I was like, no, I got to travel now. Yeah, I've got to, you know, do this thing and write this book and do this, you know, whatever. It's all got to happen now. And that's how it played out for me. How about for you? Yeah, same. No, there's no time like the present. And, and you know, I'm, I don't know, so much of life is fear management, you know, and what am I not doing that I wish I were doing? And I think that, you know, the exercise that you're encouraging of try sitting down and writing your obituary. I love that idea, by the way. I think that's brilliant. And I'm, I'm actually starting to brainstorm, like, what would I put in there? You know, what mm. do I want people to know about me? Because it's because it, that's what the question really is, is what do I want people to know about me? How do I want the world to remember me? But even you know, more on point, how do I want them to see me now? Mm -hmm. And that that's very much the same spirit as what Famous and Gravy is all about. I sometimes say that the show has a kind of theory of celebrity, that some people become famous because it's like natural selection. And it's almost like cultural selection, that society chooses, you know, anoints some people to be famous because we are selecting for given traits and characteristics. Maybe that's because they're very good looking. Maybe it's because they're really smart or they're really funny, or somehow they embody uh, something that we really, really care about. That fame is not accidental. It is revealing about, you know, who we are as a society and as a culture. So, you know, kind of the, the ethos of Famous and Gravy is that once somebody has died, as long as we give it a little bit of time for the, some natural grieving, you know, let's take a close look at what what they were chosen for. What are the character traits that they embodied? What does that say about us? And what does that say about our our choices? Are these traits trapped in time or are they something transcendent? Is it something we aspire to? Celebrities, better or worse, are our heroes oftentimes. So let's take a close look and and see what we're doing. So it's kind of the same thing as your exercise of writing your own obituary. Like what am I what am I doing today? Who do I want to be? What is how am I writing the story of my life? Something that just occurred to me is I know that you leave a little gap, as you just said, you know, waiting for the natural grieving, but also there's a little bit of gap. And when it comes to celebrity, during that time, secrets may be revealed. 
mm, that yeah. weren't known. And so I think that that's kind of an interesting thing too. When you talk about the New York Times obituary, that's immediate. Right. Which I think is a lot harder than what we're doing, right? Because there's, mm -hmm. you know, there's sensitivity, especially when somebody dies young, you know, and even more so when the circumstances of their death are not yet clear. If they, if they hurt themselves, if there was an OD, maybe there's a criminal investigation that hasn't resolved yet. And when they write those things, it's in the hours and days after, usually. So you don't know. So I don't know. I mean, I... <laughs> As we grade the first line of the obituary, <laughs> I, I realize that it's like an unfair exercise and we're holding the New York Times to an unfair standard. But I don't know. They're trying to hold themselves to that standard. I feel okay doing it. I might be. Absolutely. Yeah. They signed up for that. Yeah, exactly. You know. It's their fault yeah. for getting into this in the first place. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, you pointed me to the documentary Obit, which I thought was incredible. So good. Just yeah. So good. And to see the level of pressure that they did put themselves under and how there was a, somebody in that documentary who died suddenly. And so then suddenly they had to like, oh, I've got to scramble and put this together. The, th the other thing that I found very interesting when it comes to us writing our own obituaries as non-celebrity non mm -hmm. versus, you know, they writing the celebrity thing, this idea that they are still newspaper people yeah. and they are writing newsworthy live yes. stories, not just important life stories or, you know, because it just happened. Like somebody dying is not news in and of itself because that happens all the time. Right. And while we personally might feel like this person is very significant or whatever, they they still say, but is it news? Yeah. And that that really was like, Mark, right. Well, that was kind of a shock. I think there's a gal in that uh, uh, a bit who, or in that documentary who talked about how it's sort of the first pass at history. Right. Mm. That when somebody's life ends, it's, you know, this is our first stab at writing, you know, how they're going to be remembered. You know, I'm, you mentioned or I guess I mentioned the window with the famous and gravy. We have this rule that they have to have been dead at least a year. So a, uh, a moratorium, for want of a better word, uh, for, <laughs> for a year. But they can't be dead more than 10. Uh, and the thinking is that there's something about that sweet spot where it's something in between news and history, that the, the, the story hasn't been kind of locked in. After 10 years, it's kind of locked in. I mean, you, go, you might go back and you know, history is always being written and rewritten and so forth. And we reevaluate lives that were interesting once upon a time that, you know, maybe we don't give a shit about now or or maybe we just look at it through a different lens. But there is some sort of like empty space in terms of what does it all mean between the news and history. And I, I you know, we're trying to we're trying to get at that spot. You know, I as a result of the podcast, I now think about fame in all its categories in a way I hadn't before. Honestly, the ones who wind up being most interesting to me are not the usual normal categories of fame. I like doing both the people who are famous and are in our lives and we don't even know what their names are or how they're entered our brains, as well as the transcendent historic figures who, you know, defined the 20th century or whatever. Yeah, of course. I want to know what you have learned about how you want to live your life through doing all of this. And you you just alluded to one thing that I know you've said on the show, this 
quality of fame where you might have X amount or, or wealth or something where you have X amount of dollars and X amount of celebrity, but nobody knows your face. Yeah. So you can still walk around. Speaking of podcasting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't want my likeness, right? I don't want to, the loss of privacy sounds awful, but I don't know. I mean, you know, this is also the nature of fame is it, it is, it's very easy to be judgmental about celebrity. So, uh, so I don't want the loss of privacy, but I do want everybody to love me. Um, <laughs> whether I, you know, whether, whether I'm yes. successful or not, even if 10% are going to hate me no matter what, to the extent that I ever aspired to be, I don't know. Did I aspire to be famous? Do I still, I know I, I want to be successful, but it's not about name recognition. And I don't, you know, I'm the older I get, the more I don't care about my ego being front and center. However, I do want like recognition from my peers, whatever I'm working on that, that I care about. I, I want whatever craft I devote myself to, to other people in the space saying, you know, I, I, I'm impressed with the artistry. That's one thing I've learned. I, but the, you know, the biggest thing I've learned from the podcast is how important relational wealth is. Um, I, mm. you know, it, it, it's, Say more about what is what is relational wealth like. How are you? How would you define that? Yeah, I I, I think it's um, how how you show up and how you participate in the relationships that matter most. So we have a category love and marriage where we look at how many you know marriages, how many children, what do we know about you know sort of the family life. It's it's never a black and white question. If somebody gets divorced, it may be because they tried and the marriage failed, and that was the case. If somebody goes through eight divorces, that tells me something. But it's also, you know, how did people like what is the vibe you're getting in terms of how the children talk about the parents, whether or not they were involved in their lives or I mean, one thing we don't have a neat, clean category for is friends. Um, so that's mm -hmm. something I'm sort of like really always interested in, actually, really with the obituary is like, are there other people who get quoted who say, you know, nobody who knew who this person really was behind the scenes, but they were the kindest, most compassionate, you know, giving person you ever came across. That that stuff matters. That's relational wealth to me. It's, you know, are you available for the people who love you? Do you give that love back? And and does how does that play out over family life, close friends, weak friends and strangers and civic life for that matter? You know, mm -hmm. like where do you give them back to the world? But the other thing yeah. is like, I try to have a little bit of humility. Anybody who's got a public life, everybody's got an opinion about who you are. There's a lot of shit That's that gets true. said on the internet. And at the end of the day, we are making an effort to get to know who somebody really was, but I'm pretty aware of the limitations of, you know, who was this person really? If I didn't sit down and have a heart to heart with them ever, I can't know that, you know? Oh no, I've, I've abandoned all deep, you know, autobiographies um, or biographers, you know, in, in favor of just listening to your show. And I just consider your show as <laughs> the like, authority. It. Yeah. It's a total authority. <laughs> Great. Yeah. But you know what I mean? I mean, something <laughs> yeah. Amit says kind of a lot is there is no algorithm for this. Now, we may mm -hmm. look at somebody who has five divorces and the kids say nasty things, but we look at their art and artistry and we look at how their collaborators talk to, to, about them and we look at you know, other moments in their life that speak volumes about their character. And we may decide ultimately, yeah, this looks good. So yeah. And you know, nobody's winning on all these categories. Yeah. It's just different 
you know, facets. It's just different valence. Absolutely. Into it. When people say like, what's a good life and what's a good death, it, that sometimes the idea of I have devoted myself to some cause and have lived my entire life on that cause is a really good life on some measures. But other people would say, yeah, but the, you know, the family life entirely suffered as a result of that cause. And, you know, so I'm like, okay, how do you measure that? Again, it's another thing just like when we look at these other people's lives, other people's obituaries, other people's deaths, it's a way for us to start to think about like, what choices am I making and what impact does it have? I guess one thing I'm curious to know about, like, what are you proud of in what you're doing right now? Because isn't that kind of the question? Isn't that like, what are you up mm -hmm. to that's like, this is the thing that is an act of self-love that gives me a sense of self-worth. And as long as you've got one or more of those things going, isn't that, I don't know, kind of the main point at any given snapshot in our life? I think so. Yeah. Yes. And I also think that there are times when you can't be giving outward and that you just need to take time for yourself and that we also have to have room for that. 100%. So, yeah. you know, but I do think that my picture of a good life is one that strikes that balance, you know, that has a little bit of both. I tend to err more on the giving outward and not as much on the taking care of myself. Yeah. Um, and so that's, the, that's like the path that I've had to learn as I get older. My, my track record through my life, I, you know, I, I talk about it that my byline is that I'm here to promote kindness and curiosity. Mm -hmm. hmm. And that's my through line through all of the different activities everywhere. Yeah. You know, and I that's taken all different kinds of forms. But you say, like, what am I proud of in this moment or what am I feeling good about right now. I, that's exactly why I'm doing this is because I just, I just want the world to be kinder. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, I am curious too. I love, I love, I, and, I love that. That's a great byline, Sienna. Why? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Am I answering your question about what I've learned about obituaries? That was just what I was going to follow up with. Perfect. Okay. Um, so what's the question? So in reading all of these different obituaries, yeah. you know, what kinds of things have you learned about writing obituaries, highlighting a life, you know, the, the, and then of course we still, I still want to get back to like, what are the things that you have learned for your own life? Yeah. Um, but it just, let's start with crafting an obituary. Yes, it's hard, but what kinds of things make you go? That was a great obituary. Yeah. Oh boy. That's, that's hard. That's hard. I mean, there, there's, First off, there is, I guess I've already said this, there is so much more of an art to it than I realized. It's so much better than a Wikipedia article, first of all. I, it, it, it's a place to exercise a certain kind of language that I'm not sure has another form or, or platform where you're, where word choice is so, or when it's good, it feels very precise because it creates a sort of atmosphere around the, a person. You said it very well. I mean, it really is. It's not about like sort of dwelling on their death. It really is about what were they like when they were alive. It's a sort of almost counterintuitively an effort to bring them back to life as we sort of mourn their death and their passing. You know, what makes it good? Usually, I don't know. It's like anything with story. You hone in on some very specific and compelling moment you know, some minute detail that 
for whatever reason, fills in a whole lot around it. But I am looking for that. I am looking for some anecdote or 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 thing I forgot about a person that kind of like expands them out and makes them three dimensional. I just want to highlight one of the things that you said, which is this feeling of like you're actually bringing them back to life for a moment in in the moment of their death. Mm. And I think that that's a way of viewing an obituary that I hadn't really thought about. But it is like it's very different from a Wikipedia article because it's not reporting. It's a tribute in some way. Yeah. It's a it's a highlights reel, you know, mm. and sometimes a lowlights reel. But it is very much a curated excerpt of sometimes anecdotes, sometimes one anecdote that then is like, this is the only reason that you know this person or or some other like, how did they connect to the world? What did they give back? That kind of thing. And it's an anchoring of that person in the living world, even as they depart it, which is a really cool way to think about it. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that's a hundred percent right. I'm not sure I, what I can add to that in a way. I, I, I think that there I had a thought in there that I'm trying to remember what it was. I, I do think that when it, I guess to that point of, I, maybe this gets back to what I was saying earlier about the sort of theory of celebrity, that with a lot of these obituaries, you do sort of see the writers and the authors of the, of the obituaries doing the work of trying to resurrect cultural context for why somebody was important once upon a time, even if history has now passed them by. So there is a, it's not nostalgia element necessarily, but there is a kind of like, oh, right, we used to think this way, or we used to, or or these people used to matter in a way that I'd totally forgotten about. That honestly sort of harkens back to that spirit of dead or alive. Like, one of the things about the dead or alive, you know, game and app is it's a sort of measure of how fast uh, and and head spinning culture is evolving at any given yeah. moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So before I let you go, uh-huh. I do want to know what's going to be in your obituary or what do you want to be remembered for? Or what's a little anecdote that somebody can share to give people insight and make them say, I wish I knew this guy. Oh God, Jesus fucking Christ. I don't know how to answer this. How did I not think about this ahead of time? Uh, I I absolutely should have known this question was coming. Um, (laughs) You know, I don't, I, 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 I hardly know where to start. Is there an anecdote? We can make it easier. Yeah, help we can me out say here. not necessarily not necessarily the sum total of what's going to be in yeah, the I first line. Yeah, I can't do line. that. I can't do the first line. It's That's too fine. hard to write. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're not done yet. It's you. You don't get the first yeah. line until you're done. Um, but what's something that you are proud of that you've achieved in your life that you're like, okay, I've made some contribution here, and that feels like something that you'd like for somebody else who's writing your obituary to bring up. So we haven't talked about at all how I got into podcasting. We talked a little bit about Famous and Gravy, but um, I think I told you that that the way I got into podcasting to begin with was I was working on a PhD at Stanford in climate science. And I continue to this day to run a show that deals with global environmental change. Generation Anthropocene. That's the one. 
And, you know, I don't know where I'm taking that show. I sort of feel like I have a clearer path with where Famous and Gravy is going. But but Generation Anthropocene continues to be a really, um, it's near and dear to my heart in, in that, like, there is this big question for me in terms of how, how do we tell a story about the planet and the world and our relationship with nature and with the environment that acknowledges the science and that that is very clear-eyed about how troubled you know humankind's relationship is with the natural world and still figures out a way to celebrate beauty and transcendence and even you know kind of godlike uh, expressions in nature at the at the end of the day I'm a tree hugging hippie and even though <laughs> I have this podcast all about dead celebrities um to, to the extent that I'm looking for deeper meaning, I, I mean, the common denominator is I'm actually looking for deeper meaning in both places. I, I So I don't want to take, and I don't want anybody in my obituary to give me credit for that. But if I, if I open the aperture a little bit for people in terms of where they're able to identify things that they, that give them a deeper sense of purpose in life and therefore a celebration of life, whether that is by connecting with nature or connecting with your heroes, then, then, then I'd be I'd be really really happy if that wound up in my obituary, Sienna. <laughs> That's where I'd like to start. Yeah, I love that. I'm just picturing somebody actually writing that, and and that would make me want to. Know Hopefully you. not soon, but yeah. Well, thank you. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, who knows, right? Who knows? Who knows? The world's unpredictable. Yeah. Uh, this has been a really fun conversation. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me on. It's great to see you again. That's it for today. I hope that this managed to inspire you to write out some highlights for your own obituary or maybe just to do some more things in your life that you want people to talk about after you're gone. You're still alive, so you have time to do it. This has been Dying Kindness. The music is by Blue Dot Sessions, and I'm Sienna Stewart, and I'm going to die someday, but hopefully not before I get to write out something for my obituary that's just going to shock you. For today's death reading, I thought I should read the obituary of Shirley Temple Black the very one from the New York Times, which made Michael Osborne so incensed. But I'm going to go a little bit farther than the first sentence so that you can get a sense of what he wanted to have included. The headline is Shirley Temple Black, Hollywood's biggest little star, dies at 85. The first sentence, Shirley Temple Black, who, as a dimpled, precocious, and determined little girl in the 1930s, sang and tap-danced her way to a height of Hollywood stardom and worldwide fame that no other child has reached, died on Monday night at her home in Woodside, California. She was 85. That's where Famous and Gravy stopped, and that's exactly why Michael just lost it, because, listen to this, it goes on. Her publicist, Cheryl Kagan, confirmed her death. Mrs. Black returned to the spotlight in the 1960s in the surprising new role of diplomat. 
but in the popular imagination, she would always be America's darling of the Depression years, when in 23 motion pictures, her sparkling personality and sunny optimism lifted spirits and made her famous. From 1935 to 1939, she was the most popular movie star in America, with Clark Gable as a distant second. She received more mail than Greta Garbo and was photographed more often than President Franklin D. Roosevelt. The little girl with 56 perfect blonde ringlets and an air of relentless determination was so assured that the usually unflappable Adolf Menjou, I don't know how to pronounce that name, her co-star in her first big hit, Little Miss Marker, described her as an Ethel Barrymore at six, and she was making a stooge out of me. And then this is where her obituary takes the turn that we've been waiting for and that couldn't get included on Famous in Gravy. When she turned from a magical child into a teenager, audience interest slackened, and she retired from the screen at 22. But instead of retreating into nostalgia, she created a successful second career for herself. After marrying Charles Alden Black in 1950, she became a prominent Republican fundraiser. She was appointed a delegate to the United Nations General Assembly by President Richard M. Nixon in 1969. She went on to win wide respect as the United States Ambassador to Ghana from 1974 to 1976, was President Gerald R. Ford's Chief of Protocol in 1976 and 1977, and became President George H.W. Bush's ambassador to what was then Czechoslovakia in 1989, serving there during the fall of communism in Eastern Europe. After winning an Honorary Academy Award at the age of six and earning $3 million before puberty, Shirley Temple grew up to be a level-headed adult. At a time when operations for cancer were shrouded in secrecy, Mrs. Black held a news conference in her hospital room after her mastectomy to discuss her experience and to urge women discovering breast lumps not to sit home and be afraid. She is widely credited with helping to make it acceptable to talk about breast cancer. And that, my friends, is how you have a second completely successful, completely amazing life later in your life. So here with a tip of the hat to Famous and Gravy is some lessons learned by looking at the life of Shirley Temple Black. 